choir. Thank you, Travis and Matthew, and helping this morning. Let us pray. Gracious, holy, awesome, incredible God, we give you joy and thanks uh, for your word uh, that continues to speak to us, uh, that can, continues to call us, continues to convict us, continues to encourage us. Lord, this morning I pray that, uh, again, your voice may be heard as uh, you have spoken uh, to your people uh, since the beginning, uh, and you're still speaking today. So set me aside, Lord, let it be your voice that's heard. In your name we pray. Amen. So we continue our journey of hearing God's voice. And we've been exploring those in the Old Testament who have heard God's voice and been willing to respond. If you remember, we started with Moses and the burning bush. And then we went to Elijah and on top of the mountain and hearing God in that still, small voice. And then Samuel. Samuel, Samuel, and he wasn't sure who was calling him, and after three times, he finally learned that through Eli, that it was the Lord that was calling him, and he responded that your servant is listening. And then we heard God's voice through music, a beautiful, wonderful service of celebration and beginning to see God's presence in the sanctuary. And so today, we began to kind of zone, zone, zoom in and begin to focus on God's presence himself and what it's like and what it must be in this vision that Isaiah has. Interesting, through these people who have heard God's voice, you recognize a pattern, and maybe it doesn't follow the same exact order, but it seems both of these things began to, or all of these things began to happen. There's, there's an experience or an encounter with God. And somewhere in that encounter is a call, and often after the call or some part of that, there's an objection to what God is calling. And then somehow or some way there's a ritual that is performed in which begins to prepare the person for the journey ahead. So as we look at Isaiah, I invite you to be looking. What is that encounter or that experience, and what objection, and what call, and what ritual is performed? So join me in our scripture this morning again from the Old Testament, the book of Isaiah, chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. Online, I hope you'll get your Bibles. For those here, the Bibles you brought, or those in the pews, or your devices, let us turn to God's Word together. Isaiah chapter 6, beginning at verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne. High and lofty, and the hem of his robe filled the temple. Seraphs were in the attendants above him. Each had six wings, with two they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of, your, of his glory. The pivots on the thresholds shook at the voices of those who called. And the house filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. Yet my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphs flew to me, holding a live coal that has been taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. The seraph touched my mouth with it and said, Now that it has touched your lips, your guilt has been departed, and your sin is blotted out. That I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? 
and who will go for us? And I said, here am I, send me. So who would he have in today's scripture? Three main bodies. A little louder. The Lord, God, all right. Isaiah. And the seraphs, the, the angels that are present with it. And through the scriptures, you look at it together, kind of in the first four verses is Isaiah's vision. And then in verse 5, we begin to see Isaiah's, re, uh, Isaiah's response to that vision. In verses 6 and 7, we begin to see the ritual that is performed. And then in verse 8, is almost a question and answer session with God. Though it's one question and one answer in which Isaiah responds. As we go through this, though, we begin to see specifically in the verses uh, some significance. So look at verse 1. And the year that King Uzziah died. Why is that significant? A couple of things. One, the date itself is important. It's around 740 B.C. or B.C.E. as we look at these dates. But this is the last reign. King Uzziah is the last king of Judah. And it's after this fact that there are other kings, but it's the independence of Judah begins to come to an end. That they are now going to be under Assyrian control or Assyrian domination. And the whole state of Judah begins to change. But there's also something else. By giving us a specific date and time, it begins to validate and verify that this vision, which is an amazing vision, really does happen. So it sets it in context. For us. As we continue, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lofty, and the hem of his robe filled the temple. So where is Isaiah in this vision? It appears he's right outside the temple. He's looking into the temple. He's right there observing what's taking place. Do you remember a few weeks ago when we talked about Samuel? Where was Samuel? He was in the temple. And what was near him? The Ark of the Covenant, what does the Ark represent? God's holy presence. But yet Samuel did not know God. But here, here we have Isaiah recognizing the very holy presence of God. And it's being illustrated for, but quite a distinction between Samuel's experience in the temple and this vision that Isaiah has of God's presence in the temple. So verse 2, we see that the seraphs were in attendance. They covered their faces and they covered their feet. What are seraphs or angels? They're holy creatures, right? They're in the very presence of God, but even these holy creatures that God created can't look directly at God himself or they would die. They have to cover their faces, cover their feet. You have the seraphs, you have this hymn in verse 3 of holy, holy, holy. You have the smoke in verse 4. It's incense or this worship. We're, we're beginning to get this amazing holy worship scene that is taking place in the scripture that's being revealed to us. Back to verse 3, as we see holy, 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 and the whole earth is full of his glory, we began to begin to specifically illustrate God's sacredness, God's transcendence, God's holiness, God's awesomeness, and God's power that fills not just the temple, but the whole earth. And then as we look at verse 6, 
or, or excuse me, look at verse 5. I don't want to skip verse 5 for sure. How does Isaiah respond to this vision? What does he say? Woe is me. It's a cry. Right? I mean, think about it. If you'd seen such a holy vision that probably you'd be afraid of your own life too. And immediately he begins to go into a, a mourning or a confession. I am lost. I'm a man of unclean lips. But then what does the seraph do? What does the seraph get? A coal. A live coal with the tongs. And where does the seraph put it? On the lips of Isaiah. What in verse 5 was unclean? His lips. And now, through the actions and the words of the seraph, we see that the lips of Isaiah are made clean. Isaiah is being set apart. Isaiah is being prepared for this journey in which God has called him to make and the words in which he's calling him to speak. But what is his mission? What's his mission? Look back at verse 5. Not only were Isaiah's lips unclean, but whose lips were unclean? The people. That Isaiah is to bring a word to the people whose lips are unclean. And it's not an easy word. It's a difficult word. Because it's interesting, not as he bringing them to redemption at first, but he's bringing them a word in verse 9, and as you read the rest of the chapter, he's bringing a word for them not to repent and not to be healed. So what can we learn? What can we learn from this passage? What can we learn in today's text as we hear this, as we witness to this amazing worship scene that's taking place? place together. As we look at it, I think there's a lot that we have to learn. Five quick things. Listening matters. To listen matters. Questions matters. Words matter. Worship matters. And God matters. Listening matters. Questions matter. Words matter, worship matters, and God matters. So look at verse 8 with me. I know it's the end, but I want to I start there, and listening matters. Who is God talking to at verse 8 at the beginning? He's not talking to Isaiah. He's in this worship scene, and he begins to make this statement. I heard of the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I tend? Send. Who will go for us? In order for Isaiah to hear what God is saying, he has to be listening. He has to be attuned. He's got to be focused and expecting and anticipating and hoping maybe God is speaking. And his listening matters for what he says. Then Isaiah responds to the specific question that the Lord had raised. But only when he hears God can he then respond to God? What's also taking place is remember what his call, who is his call to, Isaiah? To the other people with unclean lips. What did the seraph do to his lips? Made clean. But perhaps Isaiah's call is to make the lips clean for others. He's taking the angel's place in this response that he's making. And remember the difficult message that he had? 
He's telling them not to repent. Quite an interesting and difficult message during this time that we've got to keep reading to figure out more of what's going on. As we're aware in the church, it's been a difficult time in the life of our church over the past few weeks. But through focusing on God, through focusing on God's presence, through proclaiming His goodness, being as our staff and our leadership focuses on the mission and ministry of the church by carrying out our vision to be a growing and vital community where Christ is transforming lives. We can do that, and we will do that, and we are doing that because we have experienced the very presence of God. And we continue to live and work and share out of that. Listening matters. Our focus is to listen to the voice of God and not other voices. And in so doing, we find hope and direction. Listening matters. Also, questions matter. Our hesitations matter. Did Isaiah hesitate in his response to God? At first, we don't think so. But if you look at verse 5, we begin to see what was Moses' word. I mean, excuse me, what was Isaiah's words? Woe is me. I mean, I think I'd have said the same thing at least. And you look at verse 11 ahead, what we didn't read today, but verse 11. How long is this going to go on? Do you remember Moses at the burning bush? We talked about five excuses. Now, Isaiah is not an excuse. Had, Moses had excuses. He didn't want to do it. But Isaiah shows a little hesitation. Questioning matters. Hesitation matters because it's okay to hesitate. It's okay to question. It's okay to ask God. It's okay to search God. It's okay to wonder where God is in this. Because when we do, God assures us that he's present and walking with us. Listening matters. Questions matter. The next is that words that matter. Words have power. Words can change direction. Words can change the course of history. This past week, Susan and I were watching or flipping through channels, or I was flipping, she does, and I'm the one who does that, and she's not real fond of that, and you might have those in your household who do the same. And, and we, you're laughing, so you're there with me, right? It was either C-SPAN or history or something, but it was the speechwriter for Ronald Reagan. And he was talking about the history, or talking about the process of him writing the speech when Reagan went to Germany and the Berlin Wall came down. Do you remember the famous words that Reagan said? Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Well, what was interesting, the speechwriter went three weeks ahead of time, scouted the place out, met with some different people who were there, began to prepare the speech, and as you can imagine, a speech of this nature gets vetted by a lot of different agencies. Well, one that didn't like it was the State Department. They were absolutely, he can't say that, because what kind of tension is that going to cause? And it went through revision and revision, but Reagan kept going back to its original. Even to the point when he was in the car, headed to the wall, they sent another revision, and Reagan still stuck to the original script of what he said. Words can change history. Words can have power. As a pastor, I don't take it for granted the words that are shared when we offer communion and the great thanksgiving and the blessing of the elements that present the very presence of Christ to us. At a child's baptism or an adult baptism, at anyone's baptism, the, the words of where Christ's Spirit, God's Spirit, 
is placed upon a child of God. When a couple is married and pronounce them man and wife, it's that moment that it's stated publicly that their life is changed forever. These words that the seraph used to Isaiah that blots out his sins and forgives his sins and blots out his transgressions. His lips are made clean. They have power for what God is preparing Isaiah to do. Listening matters. Objections matter. Words matter. Worship matters. What a great scene that we have in today's text. You see the seraphs, the angels. We hear the hymn of holy, holy. We, we see the smoke. What happens in worship is it equips us. It empowers us. It encourages us. Being in worship together, being in community together, sharing the experience of God together, encountering God and each other together begins to empower and equip us for who God calls us to be. Listening matters. Questions matter. Words matter. Worship matters. And finally, God matters. I think that's obvious, but I can't not say it because it's the most important of it all, that God matters. God is present here. We begin to get a profound picture of who God is and His awesomeness and His faithfulness and His transcendence and His presence and His power and His authority. But God is present in this moment together. And God cannot be confined. The temple, the garment, of, the hem of his, gar, um, his, of his garment in the temple. But his presence fills the whole earth. And God intervenes through a human vessel to carry out that message. To share that message with the people. The hard times that they are fixing to face. And to give them a message of hope. When we listen for God's voice, we need to be attuned. And it's okay along the way to ask questions and to be hesitant and to be reminded of God's presence. Recognizing that our worship equips us and empowers us and that God matters in the sense that His voice, His word has power for us. But all this that we can have hope. All this that as a result of us spending this time and this month and listening and hearing God's voice, all this for Isaiah, for Moses, for Elijah, for Samuel, all this for us is that our lives will be changed. Our lives will be different. Our lives will come to a moment in which we too respond to who God calls us to be. That we go from hearing God's voice to heeding God's voice. And we can do that because God is with us each step of the way. Thank you, Lord, for your presence that has guided Moses and Elijah and Samuel and that guides us today. Your voice that speaks to us, that calls us. Give us hearts, spirits, ears, minds to respond who you call us to be. Whatever message it might be, however difficult it might be, 
that we rest in your assurance that you're with us along the way. In your name we pray.